Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson is based on the words, God's word, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So many questions. These women, these disciples, these friends of Jesus, they had so, so many questions. I mean, wouldn't you too? On Good Friday, watching all that transpired, where's justice? Why won't someone help an innocent man? As they saw him hanging on the cross, I've seen him do so many amazing things, miracles. Why won't he save himself? On Saturday, more questions, the common questions as they huddled behind locked doors in fear of what those who killed Jesus might do to his followers? They asked the common question, why God? Why now? On Sunday, scripture tells us these women, they woke before the sun came up. Still more questions. The emotional questions. Are you ready? You can never be ready to visit the body of someone you love who's passed. There's the emotional questions, but, but also the practical ones. On the way there, who, who's going to roll away the stone from in, mon, in front of the tomb? And then when they got there, the glaring, obvious questions. Who moved the stone? Where's... Where's his body? Why couldn't they just let him rest in peace? Tell me, where did you put him? So many questions. But you see, these women, well, they had so, so many questions. 
they weren't asking the right question. So God sent his angels, his messengers to these women to point them and us to the one question they should have asked. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The one question that they should have asked, it wasn't even on their radar. Let's not be so harsh on these women, these friends of Jesus. They're not so different than the rest of humanity. I mean, let's be honest, that question, that question, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for immortality among the mortal? Why do you look for life among dead things? That's a question that it's just not on too many people's radar. But that question, that soul-searching question is one of the most consequential questions that there is. So this morning, this Easter, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that question and let's answer it the way God's word does in Christ. Because it's true, there are not a lot of people asking the question, why do you look for immortality among the mortal? No one's pondering that. But everyone, for a long time, has been pursuing immortality among the mortal. I mean, think about it. You know the Epic of Gilgamesh, one of the oldest written pieces of literature other than the Bible? You know what the main character is doing? He's looking for everlasting life. And then the first ever emperor of unified China, Xin Shi Huang, you know what he went after? He went after the elixir of life because he was obsessed with the idea of living and ruling forever. Fast forward to 1513, Ponce de Leon, looking for the fountain of youth. Fast forward to 2003, and modern scientists, they completed, completed the human genome project. You know one of the goals for that? identify the genes that cause age-related illness, and well, maybe we can stop aging. Fast forward to the last five years. Have you heard the term biohacking? Do you know what that is? Biohacking is this idea that's maybe outside traditional medicine and science that people can do biological experiments, DIY, on their own bodies with the hope that they can make their bodies better and their bodies can live longer. Some examples might include dieting and you know, taking ice baths, but then there's more extreme examples of injecting yourself with synthetic human growth hormone. There's a lot of money being invested into these things with the hope that maybe we can live longer. Maybe we can live forever. And that's just biology and science. You can combine it with technology. You get this modern philosophy of transhumanism. You know what that is? It's combining medicine and science with technology in the hope that people can extend longevity for a very long time. An example of that, billionaire Elon Musk, his company Neuralink, they have put in people's brains, or they hope to put in people's brains, brain implants with the hope that it can map out the 100 trillion connections that your consciousness has in the hope that you can upload your conscious to the cloud that one day 
you can download a digital version of yourself in the form of artificial intelligence. But you want to know what everyone from the epic of Gilgamesh to Elon Musk have in common? They've all failed. They've all failed or they will because they've all died or they will all die. That Chinese emperor, you, you know what happened to him? He panicked when he couldn't find the elixir of life and he started ingesting potions of mercury and he died. Ponce de Leon died. And for all that the biohackers and the genome project have brought about, disease and death still happen. And even if we could, and it might be cool, right? If we could download a digital version of ourselves, humans would be giving up one of the things that, well, makes humans different. Our humanity. It, it would be a robot, not us. So to our question, why do they, why do people look for life why do they look for immortality among the dead, among mortal things? Could it be that people are trying to cheat death because there's a fear of losing? There's a fear of losing the game of life. And there's a fear of losing because maybe this, this, is all there is, we lose it, that's it. I watched an ABC interview with someone who's a renowned biohacker, and to put it no other way, it, it was uncomfortable. It was, it was awkward. Because the interviewer, after listening to him describe his methodology, asked him an obvious question. You do know you're going to die right? And that's when it got awkward because the individual, the young man who is wearing a shirt that says end aging or die trying couldn't even look the interviewer in the eye, but looked down and, and in response to the question said, no, I, I don't know that. I, I don't think I'm going to die. I don't think I have to. My heart went out to him because he was denying a fundamental fact of life, a fact proven by nature and history and science, that death swallows everyone, emperors and ordinary everyday Joes alike. It's a fact proven not just in science, but we read in our scripture lesson this morning, Paul said this obvious fact of life, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But let's not be so harsh on brain implanters and biohackers because they're not so different. Maybe they're, they're not so different than you and I. I mean, maybe you're not investing billions in brain implants or you're not trying to biohack your way to live 180 years old. But tell me, 
why do you try to live your best life? Why do you try to live your best life here and now? Why do you look for life among death? Why do you take so much of your time, your energy, and your resources and invest it all in the 80, 90, maybe a few more years that you have now and invest little, if nothing, in your forever? Why do you look for life? Why do you look for fulfillment amid that which fades? Okay, maybe before you think like, oh my goodness, I'm listening to a whack sermon from some crazy pastor who's saying we shouldn't take care of our bodies and our life. No, hear me out. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You should, in fact, floss daily. You should sleep. You should go see your doctor, exercise, eat nutritious foods, move your body. But as you do that, consider for a moment just just how many decisions that you make about preserving your body compared to to strengthening your soul. Why do you look for life? Why do you look for strength in yourself? Do you really think that God sent his son to this world to die, to give you something that is by comparison boring to what you know in this life? Do you really think that that Jesus is so small that the best that he has to give you perishes? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Need I remind you about a fundamental fact of life? Death swallows everything. You and I, We can't cheat death. But there is someone who beat death. We read it before. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Easter means that death has been swallowed up. Easter means that Christ beat death. Death tries to swallow everything, not just human beings. Death has its effects. It tries to swallow joy and happiness and peace and futures and memories. But in Easter, everything that death looks to swallow up, oh, it was swallowed and Christ brought it back out with him from the tomb. And he gives us those things in abundance because of the empirical fact that he rose from the dead, beating death from the inside out and then forcing death to spit him out so he could give you all of his good gifts. He is not here. Christ is risen, is risen indeed. Alleluia. Here's the picture that 1 Corinthians 15 gives us. It's a bee. It's a bee that lost its stinger. You read it before. Paul said, the sting of death is sin. Now, that's not just a punchy, churchy phrase. That is something that tells us why Easter is relevant for our lives. Picture a bee. That's death. The stinger, that's sin. You and I are born 
into this world in sin. We sin. We are sinned against. In the past, we've been stung by sin. But do you know what happens when a stinger or a bee stings? The stinger ceases to be. It falls out, meaning the bee can no longer harm anybody else. What Easter does is it, it gets us to pause and think about the reason for this holy day, this holiday. It's not eggs and bunnies. It's a reminder that, that sin is what causes our demise and our death. And yeah, death remains. The bee, after it loses its stinger, it still can fly around, can annoy us, maybe, maybe even scare us. And yet, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? This is what happened on Good Friday. The bee of death and the devil and sin flew around Christ, and he stomped it. He crushed it with his foot, and yeah, that stinger got him on the bottom of the heel. Scripture tells us his heel was struck, but what happened when Christ Jesus had nails in his hands, in his feet, and a crown of thorns placed on his head, he removed the sting of death. He removed the pain and the suffering that our sins deserve. So now all that remains is a pesky bug of death here for us. And what that means is that the question is well, no longer relevant. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Christians, we don't. The question now is, why do you look for life among, amid Christ's resurrection. It's because here is victory for you. Can I tell you a secret? I like the, that's the way Paul puts it. <laughs> he says, let me tell you a mystery. You ready? Here, here's the mystery. You're not only spectators in this victory, you are participators with Christ in his victory. Would you open up to page nine of your worship guides? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. I'm going to ask you to read one part with me. I'll start reading at verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery, Paul writes. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Read this part with me. Ready? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Paul's point is this. Death, the monster of death, it remains. You know this. You know this because you've stood by the casket. You've seen the ashes in the urn. Death is real. It's the realest thing this side of heaven. And yet as real as death is, because of Christ's victory, because of Easter's resurrection, 
as real as death is for everybody, there is a real change that will happen for your body. There is a new mode of existence that you and I will be given when we die in Christ Jesus. This is what he said. At Easter, when Christ broke out of the tomb, the mystery, the secret got out. You will be clothed with imperishableness. You will be given immortality. Your mortal eyes will close and they will open and your eyes will see immortality with Christ. Why? Because when Christ rose from the dead and won the prize for which he died, oh, the medal of immortality, the gold medal was hung around his neck. The green jacket of imperishableness was put on his shoulders. And the first thing he did when he walked up out of the tomb was put that gold medal around your neck and put that green jacket of imperishableness around you. We are not merely fans. We are not merely spectators cheering on the the best player in the game in this game of life. No, we are participators in this with Christ. Because that, that gift that victory is yours. Here's maybe a way to think about it. The four most popular sports in America are first, pro football, pro basketball, college football, and then pro baseball. Something pretty amazing happened in my house this past year. My wife's favorite baseball team won the World Series. My wife's favorite college football team won the national championship. Our favorite pro basketball team won the NBA Finals, and our favorite football team didn't win the Super Bowl, but I digress. Here's my point. We watched a lot of victory parades this past year. And yet, what I noticed as a fan is that after the victory parades, after the confetti gets swept up and the trophy gets put in a museum on a shelf, The victory, the feeling of all that, it kind of goes away. On to the next season. But for the players, it's different. You watch an interview with those players months, years after they won, they will tell you that victory is still theirs. They are still champions, and they will forever and always be winners. And so it is in Christ with you. You will forever and for always be victors because of Easter. And that changes us. That changes us not only in the way we live in eternity, that changes not only our bodies, it changes the way we think here and now. One thing I hope that you do not take away from this Easter sermon is this, that it's somehow Easter means that we're not supposed to mourn death. No, scripture couldn't communicate anything opposite of that. What scripture tells us is that it's okay to mourn those we love. It's okay to miss our mom, or our dad. It's okay to be sad when when you see the other side of the bed empty or have a gaping hole in your heart, maybe even years after saying goodbye to a friend. 
Yet what Easter means is that Christ's victory over death, Christ's resurrection, it it not only gives us a new mode of existence in eternity, it gives us a new mode of thinking about death and about life here and now. Because you are a co-victor with Christ, you carry that victory in your body now. Because that victory is yours, that means that wherever you go, and when you go through fear and tears and grief and even into glory, you have those resurrection blessings. Those resurrection blessings aren't something that you just wait for until you get to heaven. You have resurrection blessings now that steal nerves and give courage in this life because you are a victor in Christ Jesus. That means that we spend every waking moment of our lives confident in what we can expect to happen. It's like this. It's, you imagine two people working the same grueling job, physically demanding job. One person gets paid $10,000 for their work but the other person has a secret, a mystery. They're making $10 million for doing the exact same thing. Well, that would change the way you go about your work, wouldn't it? Because even when it seems like you're losing, you're winning. And that's, and that's why we need to ask that question. Why do you look for life amid the resurrection? Why must you look for life amid the resurrection? It's because you know, sometimes it seems maybe like we're losing. We're losing those we love. Maybe you look out at culture and it feels like we're losing. You look out across the world and there's no peace politically, maybe even locally. It might feel like we're losing when you look at a picture of yourself and you see that you've aged, your body's changed. And yet we do not look at these things for victory. We do not look to things that, that seem like losses for life. We do not look for immortality among the mortal. We look for life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that we can brag and that we can boast with all the saints on earth and the hosts of heaven. With them, we can say, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is it? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Death, you cannot touch me. You cannot harm me. Death, you cannot take away what I have in Christ. What do we say to death? Not today. Death, you are a dog that's all bark and no bite because the sting, it's gone. In closing, let me take you back to that interview. That interview with the ABC crew and the, the biohacker. They asked him, you know you're going to die, right? So many questions. So... So many questions. But that question, that is a question that you can answer with confidence and courage and conviction because you stand in the victory of Christ. You know you're going to die, right? <laughs> Let me tell you a mystery. 
when I die, when I die, I will burst from the grave because my Savior burst from the grave. Therefore, I stand in victory and death will never have a hold on me. You know you're going to die, right? I don't look for life among the dead. I don't look to cheat death because Christ already beat death. And so to the question, why, why do we look for life amid the resurrection? It's because of what the angel said. He is not here. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen.